Well, we've all been uh, given different roles to play. Apparently, Pastor Steve was given a role this morning. Uh, I think we'd all agree, though. We've all been given different roles to play in our life. Some are seasonal and temporary. Other roles are more, are more fixed or at least long-term. For instance, if you've ever been cast as a character in a play, you know that you're going to play that role until the play or until the musical's over, and you're going to play it to the best of your ability with all of your heart, and you're going to play it till all those shows and all those performances are done, but then you know that that role is going to cease to exist when the play is over. Same with being a part of a sports team. Every time that you step out onto a court, every time you step out onto a field, every time you step into the rink, you're playing the role that you've been assigned to. We all know this, uh, that a sports team, though, does not last forever. So the role you're playing, you play as long as you're on that sports team, but eventually that role will come to an end. But there's also other roles in our life that are more fixed or they're more long-term. The role of a father or a mother to a child, the role of a grandparent, the role of a sibling, the role of a spouse or a cousin, and each and every one of these roles, if we have the privilege of playing these roles, are roles that we're most likely going to be involved with for quite some time. Now, I know there are exceptions to that, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see this morning is that we all play different roles throughout our life. And, and this got me thinking, this idea that we all play different roles uh, it got me thinking as I was digging through, looking through the book of Acts more intentionally these last couple of weeks, it got me thinking about this following question. And it was, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? I mean, if you've grown up in the church, we all know the Holy Spirit. We all know, you know, he's part of the Trinity. We all know uh, a lot about the Holy Spirit. If somebody were to ask you, though, what is the Holy Spirit? What is the role? It's kind of the role of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times there's a lot of things in our lives that we know them because we know them or because like we've grown up. But if we were to actually have to like give an explanation to somebody, we might really have to pause for a while or think because we're just like, all right, I know it's true, but, but it got me thinking, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? And we've been learning a lot about the Holy Spirit in our current series, which is entitled In Step with the Spirit. And we've been doing that as we've been going through, traveling through verse by verse through the book of Acts. But what's his role? What's, what are his roles? And how does that translate into what his role should be in our lives today? So, well, Focusing on this question actually ended, ended up leading me to another question, which event, eventually brought me some clarity on this role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here's the second question. The second question that I was led to was, why did God have to send His Spirit, His glory, His power, His presence to this earth after Jesus left? Think about it. Jesus had already come to earth. 
He had already given us access to eternal life and the gift of heaven. When he died on the cross for our sins, when he was buried, and then when he resurrected back to life three days later. So we already have access to eternal life. And we know that through believing in Jesus, through asking him to forgive us of all of our wrongdoing, all of our sin, that we're guaranteed that we're going to be in heaven with him one day. And that we no longer have to fear death. So why did God have to send his Holy Spirit? Well, after digging into the book of Acts, after looking at some of the roles that the Holy Spirit played among the first believers, uh, roles that I'm going to share with you a little bit later in our time together today, I next, amidst, amidst some curiosity, I ended up saying, you know, I need to go back. I need to, need to go back to the beginning of the Bible and see how has the Holy Spirit, what roles has he played up to this point? And so as I was looking up all different kinds of scriptures and trying to see what the Holy Spirit did, there was a couple of things. There was actually five main things that I realized, roles that he played in the time of the Old Testament. And as we get into some of these verses, we're going to go through just a lot of them. We're going to just cover a lot of ground here this morning. I found that the word, I wanted to share this with you up front, the word Holy Spirit, or words Holy Spirit, are actually not, not used in the Old Testament. When you hear the words Holy Spirit being used, it's not that. It's the Spirit of the Lord, or it's the Spirit of God. That's how it's used in the Old Testament. But it's still very clear that it's the same Holy Spirit that we find in the New Testament. And so... I want to share with you, though, when it talks about the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord in the Old Testament, five main ways that we see the Holy Spirit playing a role in the Old Testament. Number one, the Spirit of God was a part of creation. Okay, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, right at the beginning of the Bible, the first two verses in the Bible say that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, so nothing really existed yet. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was a part of creation and was around at the beginning when the heavens and the earth were created. It's the first role I saw as I was looking. The second role that the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord played in the Old Testament was that the Spirit of the Lord gave life to humanity and to the other creatures. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now you might say, Pastor Michael, I don't see any use of the Spirit in this verse. And this is true. But it's also true that this same word for breath that's used other places in the Bible is translated as the word spirit. So the spirit of God was a part of making us and giving us the very breath of life. And even if you, if you were to look up Job chapter 33 verse 4, 
you'd see this same truth is found there as well. The Spirit of God was a part of bringing life to humanity. Number three, in the Old Testament, we see that the Spirit of the Lord was given as an anointing or as a filling to some of, his, of the Lord's prophets, leaders, judges, and kings. To chosen individuals, the Spirit of the Lord was given to chosen individuals, but not yet to all people. This means that God chose to pour out his Spirit on a select few. Now we see a couple, I'm just going to rattle them off, but to Joseph, when he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, Genesis 41, 38, we see him get, pouring out his spirit onto Moses, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 19 through 21. God gave Moses his spirit in the wilderness to lead them and instruct the Israelites. But what's something fascinating, but God also spoke to Moses face to face. Numbers chapter 11, Numbers chapter 12. We also see the Spirit of the Lord given to the 70 elders of Israel. And it actually says that God took some of the Spirit that was on Moses and put the Spirit on them, on these 70 elders, so they could help him carry the burden of the people. And it was confirmed by the fact that they began to prophesy. You see this in Numbers chapter 11. We also see the filling of Bezalel with the Spirit of God and with all of his skills for completing the work of the tabernacle. Exodus 31, verse 3. We see Joshua, son of Nun, filled with the Spirit of wisdom by the laying on of, the hand, of hands by Moses. Deuteronomy 34, 9. We see Balaam got the Spirit of God to give his oracles in Numbers 24, verse 2. We see a few judges that are given the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came upon these judges. Othniel, Judges 3. Gideon, Judges 6. Jephthah, Judges 11. Samson, Judges 15. And then we see that the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, comes upon some of the kings of Israel. First Saul and First Samuel 10.10. 10. And it says that when the Spirit of the Lord came on the first king, on Saul, that he prophesied. This was many, one of the ways a lot of times that the Spirit manifests itself to show that people had the Spirit was they prophesied. And also it came upon David, King David in power in 1 Samuel 16, 13. And it actually says in the next verse that it actually the Spirit of the Lord departed from King Saul in the next verse. And so because of this, King David was actually very nervous that, and fearful that God was going to take his Holy Spirit from him too and actually pleads with God not to in Psalms 51.10 after his sin with Bathsheba and the murdering of her, her husband Uriah. Because in the Old Testament, God could actually take his Holy Spirit away. But we also see the last group, the prophets. We see uh, the Holy Spirit coming on them, the Spirit of the Lord. Elijah and Elisha, right? When, when Eli Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's Spirit. 2 Kings 2.9. And it says in Nehemiah 9.30, the prophets admonish the people by the Spirit. And last, the prophet Daniel had the Spirit. Daniel chapter 4, 
verse 8. There's just so many places in the Bible where it talks about how there was an anointing that came on a select few. Number four, one of the roles of the, the Spirit of the Lord in the Old Testament was that the Spirit of the Lord spoke through the kings and the prophets to Israel and to the other nations, which is slightly different than the prior example because of the distinction of on versus through. So in the, in the Old Testament, you know, God came upon, on peep, certain people, certain leaders, and his power and his presence and his glory was with them. But there's also times where we see in the Bible that the Spirit of the Lord spoke through people to the Israelites and to other nations. We see this as one example, King David, 2 Samuel 23, verse 2. And the last one that I want to focus on, and the one that I really want us to key in on, because it's probably the, the, the primary role of the Spirit of the Lord in the Old Testament, is that the glory, the power, the presence, the Spirit of the Lord filled the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. And it talks about the cloud of the Lord, which was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire and the cloud by night, also in Exodus 40, 38. And the, that we see later, when, this, when the temple was finished, that the glory of the Lord also filled the temple. So the tabernacle was like a, a transportable temple, right? Whereas they were going through the desert. Eventually, when they got to the promised land, they built a temple, which was the place where the Lord's glory, the Lord's power, the Lord's presence, the Lord's spirit dwelled. And in these five examples, we see some important roles that the Holy Spirit played in the Old Testament. But we primarily see that the place of residence, the place where the Holy Spirit dwelled in the Old Testament, was in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. In order to have access to God, the people actually had to go to that place, to the tabernacle or to the temple in order to have access to God, in order to have access to his power, to his presence, to his glory, to his spirit. Does this make sense? But we see something beginning to take place in the Old Testament. Speaking of something new in terms of the role of the Holy Spirit. And this is 500 years before Jesus even comes on the scene, or Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. We see in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 28. Let me get there for you. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 28. Yep. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. Even all the way back in the Old Testament, it was said that God was going to put a new spirit 
in his people. That he was going to take out their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Why? Because then we would follow his decrees and be careful to keep his commands. He would be our God and we would be his people. You see, even with the sacrificial system that was in the place, in, in the tabernacle, and later on in the temple, even though the people could come and make sacrifices for their sins, and in doing so be made right with God, be holy once again, we see time and time and time and time and time and time again that the people in the Old Testament were bent on evil all the time. Even with God's instruction throughout the Old Testament to continue to follow his ways, to continue to not worship the gods of the enemy nations around them, we see over and over again that the people of God, the Israelites, turn away from God and follow the enemy nations around them, follow the evil, follow the wrongdoing and the sin that they see those nations around them doing instead of following the commands of God. And it was this way that their hearts were hearts of stone. Therefore, God was already making it known 500 plus years before it happened that he was going to put a new spirit in his people and that he was going to give us a heart of flesh so that we could follow his decrees and make sure to keep his commands. Not because it saves us, but because it shows others that we are his and that we belong to him. And we see this all the way back in the book of Ezekiel. So fast forward from the Old Testament, fast forward 500 years to when Jesus enters the scene, okay? We're caught up now. Jesus enters the scene. The surprise, though, you got to, I just want you to think through this. The surprise was not that Jesus was filled with the Spirit of the Lord and doing all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders, because in the Old Testament, they had lots of prophets that came and did miracles and signs and wonders, and these same kinds of things as well. So what I'm going to share with you next, though, was the surprise. And this is where it gets really neat. And this is what they didn't see coming. You see, if you read between the lines in the Gospels, in the Gospel books of Matthew and Mark, the first two books in the New Testament, you'll see that at the time of Jesus' death, in both of these gospel accounts, in Matthew 27, 51, and Mark 15, 38, that there was a huge earthquake. And that during this earthquake, the curtain in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. And in passing, you'd say, oh, no big deal. With a huge earthquake, it, I mean, it seems pretty reasonable that a curtain would get ripped in the process. Big earthquake. But it wasn't so much that the curtain got ripped that was what was astounding. What was astounding was what it represented. You see, this curtain not, was not just any curtain. It was the curtain in the temple of the Lord that separated the holy place, which is the place where people could come in and worship the Lord, from the most holy place. 
And now in the most holy place was not only the place where the Ark of the Covenant resided, but it was also the very place inside the Ark of the Covenant was where the glory of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord dwelled and resided. And only the priest, and only one time a year, after the priest had done all the right ceremonial washings and all the right sacrifices, only once a year could this priest then go into the Holy of Holies and offer these sacrifices before the Lord, where his presence and his power and his glory resided. Think about that. Like, think about being that priest and having that privilege to go in there into the same, into the presence of the power and the spirit of the Lord. And just in case the priest didn't do a good enough job, maybe with the ceremonial cleaning or the sacrifices, or maybe that there was some kind of evil and and way he was living in his life, they would tie a rope around his leg so that if the priest happened to fall dead when he was in the presence of the Lord because he was unclean, then they could pull him out. No one else would have to go in after him. You get it? So to this point, at the death of Jesus, who is the spotless lamb, and in this very temple, this curtain that kept the spirit of God contained and separated from everyone, this curtain splits in two from top to bottom. Okay, quick side note. Splitting from top to bottom was to signify to people that this was no man-made, this was no human-made occurrence because otherwise it would have split from bottom to top. This was a huge curtain. No, this was a divine and a God-initiated occurrence and the curtain is therefore recorded in the Gospels as splitting from top to bottom. And this signified that the glory of the Lord The presence of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord was no longer to be contained. But that we, believers in Jesus, all of us would become the temple of the Lord and the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. And this is what's so significant about Acts chapter 2 when God pours out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. This was the paradigm shift. Pentecost, which means 50, which is the festival that took place 50 days after the Passover feast, was also the feast of the first fruit of harvest. And it's the, the feast of harvest. And it was also the feast that reminded them to celebrate the fact that they had been given this land, this promised land, and that it was a gift from God. So on this very day, the same day, they're celebrating these physical gifts of land and of harvest, God decided to give them the spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 reminds us that the Holy Spirit is a marking, and that the Holy Spirit seals us as his own, and also that The Holy Spirit is a deposit from him, guaranteeing that we are his. But in that moment, in Acts chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, when what seemed like tongues of fire came and rested on them, and they they were sealed and given the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, for the first time, it was signifying 
that God's power, God's glory, God's presence, God's spirit was now living in their hearts and was in that moment the fulfilling of Ezekiel 36 when it says that God would take out of their heart a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God now lives in us. So here's the paradigm shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. See, in the Old Testament, they had to go to a place. They had to go to the tabernacle. Eventually, they had to go to the temple in order to be in the place where the Holy Spirit was, where God's power and presence and glory was. In the New Testament, God's power, God's presence, God's glory and spirit lives and dwells in us. We no longer have to go anywhere to access God, but we now have 24-7 access to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Because through Christ's sacrifice, we're made clean, we're made right and holy once and for all. And we, by his grace, become the holy of holies and the place where he dwells. So with this, with this backdrop as your frame of reference and what this would mean for all the believers in Jesus and from the book of Acts forward, I want you to realize the gravity of the matter here. And that if you believe in Jesus, if you have asked Jesus into your life, into your heart to be your Savior, to be your Lord, then this same Holy Spirit and glory of the Lord that used to live in the Holy of Holies now lives in you. Let me say that again. If you believe in Jesus, the same power, the same glory, the same presence, the same spirit that resided in the temple and the tabernacle now lives in you. And this means that you now have access to this same power and presence and glory and spirit in your day-to-day -day lives. Are you utilizing it? And the reason that God gave you his Holy Spirit, other than that we could be sealed for heaven, was for these two following reasons. And I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. If you want to turn there, you can. But for the two, these two reasons is why we're given the Holy Spirit. We're, we're given the Holy Spirit to reflect the Lord's glory and to be transformed into his likeness. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18, it says this, and it's titled, The Glory of the New Covenant. It says, now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, verse 7. Now, in the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. So he's talking about the Old Covenant. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, right? He's saying, now, in the ministry, the Old Covenant, which brought death, and was engraved in letters on stone, it, with this ministry came glory. So that the Israelites could not steadily 
Look at the face of Moses because of its glory. Fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? He's pointing out there was a glory. There was a power. There was a presence of the Lord that came with the old covenant so that once Jesus or once Moses met with God up on the mountain, he had to cover his face when he came down till that glory faded away because it actually scared the people a little bit. But he's saying if there was that kind of glory and when the old covenant was around, what about the glory that is in the new covenant? He says, if the ministry that condemns men, the old covenant, is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness, the new covenant, what Jesus brings? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And it was, and if it was fading away, and if what was fading away comes with glory, how much greater is the glory that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, Paul says, we're very bold. We're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. See the picture of a heart of stone, right? Even when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now catch this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflects the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Number one, why did God send his Holy Spirit? Well, we're to reflect the Lord's glory. Let me put it to you this way. We are to be like the moon that reflects the sun. Did you know that when you look at the moon and you see the light of the moon, when you see the moon, you're not seeing the moon. You are seeing the light of the sun that is reflecting off of the moon. That's what you're seeing. That's why we see different parts of you know, the moon, because only the part of the moon that is is able to see the sun, are we able to see? How much do you want people to see God's glory? Just a little waning, little piece, crescent? Or do you want them to see the full moon? We are to be like the moon that reflects the sun, but we are to reflect the light and the glory of the sun. 
the Son of God. We are to reflect the glory of the Lord that lives in us. It's supposed to be so bright, so amazing, that when people look at us, they see a glimpse of God and who he is. Just let that sink in. Number two, where did this verse, this, these verses say that we're to be transformed into his likeness. I just, I want to just say this as a, just as a, a, something for us to ponder. Is that if we're not becoming more and more like Jesus every day, or at least every year, do our hearts belong to him? Because if he's in us, we will be like him. This is just, it's just a fact. We will be coming, be becoming more like him because he lives in us. God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we would be able to love people the way that God loves them. And so that we would be able to become like God in his love. And in doing so, we'll reflect his love and his likeness and his glory to everyone that we meet. So that when people see us, they'll see the glory of Jesus in us and know that something is different about us. And we can never do this on our own power without him. This is only something that he can do. But as a form of application, I want, you to pondering the, I want you to ponder the following question as we look at some of the roles that the Holy Spirit played in the book of Acts so far. Here's the question. Do I utilize the Holy Spirit in my life in these ways? We're going to go fast-paced through this. If you want to write them down, you can. But some of the roles that the Holy Spirit played in the New Testament that are huge, we've got to ask ourselves, do I utilize the Holy Spirit in my life in these ways? Number one, and there's going to be 10 of them, the Holy Spirit in them gave them the power to be his witnesses. Acts chapter one, verse eight, to share about him, to proclaim about him, to point others to him. And you got to ask yourself, do I utilize the Holy Spirit in this way? Or am I at least open to letting God use me in this way if he wants to? That I would be willing to be his witness and share him in my everyday life with other people. The next, two, or the next three come from the next three roles of the Holy Spirit. Come out of Acts chapter 2 verses 17 through 19, which is quoted from Joel chapter 2 verses 28 and 30. And it says that in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on my people and they will prophesy. They will have dreams and visions and they will do signs and wonders. Now, the first one, prophesy, means foretelling, either foretelling what's to come or simply sharing God and his truth with others. Okay, Abagus predicted a severe famine in Acts chapter 11. And the church in Antioch had prophets in Acts chapter 13. So we see this taking place in the book of Acts. You got to ask yourself, do I utilize the Holy Spirit in this way? Or am I at least open to letting God use me in this way if he wants to? 
being his witness, prophesying. Number three, having dreams and visions. We see this in, in Ananias as he goes to heal Saul, Acts chapter 9. Cornelius's vision to send for Peter in Acts chapter 10. Peter also had a vision about what is clean in Acts chapter 10. Do I utilize the Holy Spirit in this way? Or am I at least into letting God use me to having dreams and visions if he wants to? Number four, performing signs and wonders. I mean, I, I don't have time to go through all these. If you want to know them, I mean, I can share them with you, but we've seen them week in and week out, all the miracles that, that the apostles did, that the, the first believers in Jesus did. And you've got to ask yourself, am I willing to let the Holy Spirit utilize me in this way if he wanted to? Am I, am I willing? Number five, to speak the word of God boldly, it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. To speak the word of God boldly. Are we willing to let the Holy Spirit utilize us in that way? Number six, to speak with a type of wisdom that could not be challenged. In Acts chapter 6, verse 10, it's recorded as saying that he was able to speak with a type of wisdom that could not be challenged. It's pretty incredible. Number seven, to, to hear his voice and be led by him to others. This was Philip and the Ethiopian, where he was, he, God was leading him by his voice in Acts chapter 8, verse 29. He said, go and stay next to the chariot. And then he leads him to go and talk to Philip, uh, to the Ethiopian. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to hear his voice, and we're going to be led by him to others. Number eight, to be encouraged and strengthened. And that comes in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Number nine, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to, to fast and pray and worship, Acts chapter 14, 23. And then last but not least, there's multiple times where it says that they taught and they preached um, and they shared with other people. When the Holy Spirit was in them, it gave them the power to do all of these things and I just want us to ask, do we utilize the Holy Spirit in this way? Or are we at least open to letting the Holy Spirit use us in this way? But here's the deal. As we close, we have to make a choice. We have to choose to let him into our heart. We have to choose to continue to give him full access to every part of our hearts and lives each and every day so that he can continue to complete his work of transformation in us. We're to be like the moon. The moon reflects the sun. And we are to reflect the son of God and his glory to all that we come in contact with. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the role 
that your Holy Spirit plays in and through our lives. And Lord, whatever it is that you wanted us to hear this morning, whatever it is that you wanted us, that you want us to walk away with, Lord, would that just ring true in our lives and in our hearts? And would everything just, everything else just fade into the background? Because Lord, we just, we simply want to honor you. We simply want you to change our hearts to be more like you. And we know that comes through your Holy Spirit. We love you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.